Da -da 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 -da. Welcome to Linen Suit and Plastic Tie, a brand new podcast where we're going to talk to experts about unlocking the power of storytelling in professional development, business, and in life. My name is Gorv. And my name is Kevin. Today, for our very first episode, we are joined by Dr. Tara Prescott Johnson. She is a lecturer at UCLA Writing Programs, a certified diver, a hiker, and our dear friend. She is an expert in unconventional storytelling. She works with vast different mediums from comic books to television to movies and teaches in such a unique way. We are so happy to have her here today and there's so many amazing insights. So let's get started. Johnson, and I am a continuing lecturer in writing programs at UCLA. I'm also a faculty in residence, which means uh, my family and I live with students in the residential halls, which is where I am uh, right now. Uh, a little bit about my background. Um, I was born in New York and then spent my early childhood in Pennsylvania before moving to California. My family moved a lot. Um, so I was exposed to a lot of different types of cultures and places and learned how to set roots um, in new places pretty quickly. Uh, educational background, I was always interested in writing, always kept diaries, was a huge reader. Um, went to UCLA to study um, literature, was into journalism, still didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, went for a master's at Johns Hopkins University in um, their writing seminars and poetry still didn't know what I wanted to do did a lot of random jobs really random <laughs> like I was a I was a professional patient a standardized patient uh, so uh, med students would practice on me that was actually one of the jobs I had I worked in a bookstore I was a medical writer um, and a very long circuitous path ended up uh, returning for a PhD in English so that I become could become a professor uh, which is what I do now Wow, that's, that is an amazing story. That's so interesting. You moved around a lot and you tried a bunch of different jobs to kind of find what was a good fit. That's such an interesting dynamic you had. I think it's true for a lot of, a lot of professionals. Students tend to think that uh, the career path trajectory is very linear, that if you, you know, take this step and then this step and this step and it leads exactly to you know, your goal. But most of us kind of stumble our way through or find it opportunities we didn't know existed or, you know, a global pandemic, you know, changes your, your path and you end up finding something else. Um, so I think it's important to talk about the, uh, the strange meandering nature that many of us take in order to find our eventual careers. Building those narratives of X, Y, and Z. These are the things I do in high school. These are things I do in college. These are the things I do in my career. And students kind of getting trapped in that. And so you kind of see the negative aspect yes, yes. of narrative building. Can you tell me about how you break that cycle and allow yourself to be a little bit more flexible? Yeah, because storytelling is more than just communicating to other people, right? It's also communicating to ourselves. Um, it's the stories that we tell ourselves that we come to believe about ourselves, um, which can be very empowering. Um, but if you're telling yourself a, a negative story or putting a negative spin on, you know, something that's happened or like getting stuck in a story that um, is no longer valid, it ends up hurting you more in the, in the process. Um, 
So I guess some of the ways to kind of, well, I guess the first way is to be aware that you're doing it, um, that you have some power over the narrative of your own life. Um, and especially if it's something that you don't want other people to know, you don't necessarily have to tell them. <laughs> like you can change the story um, as you tell it, or you can change the way that you think about the story. Um, so being aware of it is, is I think, a big part of changing it. Um, but also moving on to building the story that you want to have. If your current story, whatever that is, um, isn't what you want, uh, then instead of dwelling on it, looking kind of ahead um, towards you know, changing it to become the story that you want. Um, I know that's, that sounds very sort of out there and ethereal, um, but it's just, I think it's important to remind people uh, that we have control um, over the way our story is told. Um, okay, let me, let me tell a brief story here that, that might um, illustrate some of these, some of these points. Um, years ago when I lived in the Bay Area, I applied to a medical writing position in San Bruno, which is just south of San Francisco. And the person who is uh, scheduling the interview with me, let's say, I can't remember the date, but let's say they told me to come on Tuesday, October 3rd, right? But it turns out that October 3rd was actually a Wednesday. Um, doesn't matter. Somehow there was a miscommunication. And I arrived for this job interview, and I went up to uh, the receptionist and gave my name and everything. And the receptionist looked confused. And she's like, huh, we expected you yesterday. Um, and there was this like horrible lurching moment when I realized that, oh, wow, I completely no-showed for <laughs> this interview. Like, I didn't contact them. I didn't show up. And now I'm here a day late. Um, and I nearly bailed right there and then because you, the, the, they talk about first impressions. I can't imagine a much worse first impression than just not showing up and contacting them. But I had, you know, dressed in my suit. I drove there, you know, sat in my car until it was exactly 10 minutes before. I did all the things you're supposed to do. So I'm just going to, like, stay in this interview. Um, so I stayed. They had to go find the managers because they were at some kind of, um, I don't know, they were celebrating someone's birthday party or something, and there was cake, I remember that, because they weren't expecting that they were going to interview someone who was supposed to be there the day before. Um, so finally they came in, and those first few minutes where we kind of talked about, you know, the confusion and sort of laughed about it, um, and then moved on and did the interview. I found out later, um, I worked for them for like three years. I found out later that part of the reason why they hired me was actually how I handled myself when this terrible thing, you know, happened at the very beginning. That, you know, we talked about it for a few minutes um, and then we moved on. And I think that's an important thing to hear, those kinds of stories, those kinds of like moments where it just, you know, everything goes south. Um, if you're able to work with it and keep going, you can, you know, create a story out of it that's good. You know, how I ended up becoming a medical writer, which eventually, you know, 20 years later feeds into teaching medical writing at UCLA. Um, it would not be as good of a story if I, you know, showed up on time and had my interview and it went well and I got the job, right? Like, there's not much you can do with that story. Um, but instead, uh, showing up a day late and getting the job, um, that's a story. I think that's an extremely interesting story. I, I have a similar one, but I did not end that well. Oh, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, now I want to know that story. Oh, it's not that interesting, Eva. Uh, inherently, I was scheduling an interview um, 
it's not that interesting. But I was scheduling an interview for a pretty big entertainment company. I was in, I was uh, trying to internet, and um, I we emailed back and forth. She asked my availability, so I sent it to her, and then I didn't hear back over the weekend. And then Monday afternoon, I went and I checked my email. Apparently, she had responded with a time of Monday morning, and I had missed it. Somehow, I marked it as unread, and I totally missed that interview. Um, and then I, I, I emailed, I apologize and yeah, they didn't give me another interview, but, um, it's interesting. Um, so that was what I thought about, but it's not as nice of a story. Well, what happened to you afterwards? Did you, did you land a job after that one? Oh, well, yeah. Oh, you know, ah, you're turning on my head here. Yes. Ultimately I was able to get an internship that kind of fit me more well. So, and yeah. If you had gotten that first job, you wouldn't have found your way into the second one. So, so you just modeled for me. Um, one of the things I see a lot with, with my students when talking about telling our stories is discounting the story that you have for whatever reason. Um, assuming that it's not important or it's not interesting to other people. Um, and then not telling it. Uh, and then it turns out that, well, actually, there are really interesting parts in there that would be useful. Um, I think a lot of students discount what experience they have as not being epic enough for a story, um, when in fact the greatest stories can be about really simple things. So that's a good thing to think about is that you don't need to have epic, you know, the time I went skydiving with tigers, uh, you know, stories like experiences in order to have a good story. The life that you have is full of things that are interesting to other people. Um, you've had experiences that no one else has had, and you've also had experiences that lots of people can identify with. And it's more how you tell the story and the details you give. What would you suggest as, as a strategy to sort of tell your stories uh, or to f discover stories out of the ordinary experience, yeah, yeah. quote unquote, that we may have? Um, I have a few tips. Um, finding models, Try not to sound like somebody else, practicing and getting feedback and revision. So finding models is either reading or listening to good storytellers or stories. You kind of start absorbing by osmosis um, when you listen to good material and kind of thinking about what makes it compelling, what makes you want to keep watching or listening. What is the thing that kind of keeps you engaged with the material and how can you, you know, start borrowing tips from that? So models. Um, next thing is tone, allowing you to authentically sound like you sound. Try, not trying to make yourself sound like someone you're not. So even though it's true in early career, there's that saying, you know, fake it till you make it. Um, you may have heard that. Uh, but I think a lot of uh, young young writers and young professionals are trying so hard to sound like whatever the perfect model of themselves is that they imagine at the expense of who they actually are. Um, so giving yourself the freedom to start sounding like you instead of trying to sound like someone else. Next one, practicing and giving feedback. Uh, good stories get refined by being told and told and told, right? So you know, testing out a story among your friends, see what bits they respond to or what bits they don't ask about or where they get confused and then changing it slightly. So revision and changing and sharing that story many times, will you'll get better at it. It helps to know that stories don't have to have morals and they don't have to have neat endings. Sometimes that's kind of the point. The, I, we talked about like messy trajectories. Sometimes stories 
don't have kind of neat tied on a bow endings because they're evolving. A lot of interview questions are asking you things about like what your your weakness is or what your you know what your challenges are. Please don't say perfectionism. <laughs> but um, sometimes you're still figuring that out and that's okay to answer authentically. What led you to the decisions to, to take such an unconventional approach mm -hmm. to uh, teaching academic writing or writing in, in general? When you're looking at different forms of media or different genres, um, these are stories that are being told in, under very different constraints. So sometimes it could be time. Like if you're looking at episodic television, you've got 45 minutes to tell the entire story, right? Um, sometimes it's budget. If you're, you know, working on a low budget film, it's going to be very different from, you know, a Marvel film, right? So that's part of the reason why I like looking at a, a wide range of types of stories and how they are communicated because they have different constraints and then they come up with different creative ways of working underneath those constraints. This actually reminded me of something I wanted to say earlier, so I'm just going to say it now. One of the things that's really important is specific detail, because um, it's the thing that makes your story sound different from everyone else's. And it can be very hard to know what level of detail to give. Um, in most cases, people err on the side of not giving enough. You probably both have some relative that is a terrible storyteller, um, who just goes on and on and on about things that you don't care about. That happens sometimes. Um, but let me give you an example. I'm going to tell you two ways of telling the same story, and I want you to hear the difference. Um, if you saw my TEDx talk, you already know the story, though, so that might throw things off. But anyway, here's the first version of the story. Are you ready? You're all nestled in there? Yes. <laughs> okay. So I was at this place where I work, and we're supposed to wear protective coverings, but uh, some of it's constricting, so I don't always. I was feeding fish, and one bit me. It left a mark about... 3.2 centimeters by 2.47 centimeters. Um, what What's wrong with that story? Um, I, I, for me, my answer to that would be, I was trying to figure out how big that mic would be. I was like, <laughs> 2.9 <laughs> by 3.2, and I'm like, yeah. oh, the metric system. I'm doing the math in my the head. Metric right. system. <laughs> That's why I got lost. Yeah. Yeah. It, when you, Yes. So, like, I, I was at this place where I work. And in my head as a listener, I'm like, wait, where did you work? Wh where is this? Right. And we're supposed to wear protective coverings and some of it's constricting out where I was feeding fish and I'm listening to this. I'm thinking, wait, what? Like, what job do you have that you're feeding fish? Like, are you at a, like, are we at a pet store? Like I'm as a listener, I'm still trying to figure out all these things that I'm not listening to the story. And then the mark being 3.2 centimeters by two point. Exactly. Like I can't picture that. What are things that would help help you picture that better. How did it happen? Okay. What if you want to visualize it? Oh, where the injury is. Yeah, what color is it? How big is it, right? These sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, so the fuller part of this story, I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but <laughs> um, I was a volunteer scuba diver at an aquarium. So right there, you're going to have a whole, whole bunch of questions like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. Like, you're an English professor. What are you doing in an aquarium? Um, and while I was feeding underwater, um, a fish bit me in the neck and left this massive bruise that looks exactly like a hickey. And the reason why this story becomes funny is that I had to go and teach with this massive hickey on my neck. 
Um, and the real story of how I got there sounds so ridiculous. It sounds made up. Like if I tried to explain to my students, like, oh no, this, like a fish bit me in the neck. Like the students would be like, oh man, <laughs> I'm like, sure, sure. Right. like sure. whatever fish hit you, you know? Um, <laughs> when this originally happened to me, my brother was the one who started calling it a fish hickey or a fish hickey. <laughs> and I thought, no, that's funny. That, that's a great story. Um, so like, nobody cares that it's 3.2 centimeters by 2.4 like that doesn't matter and it's hard to follow what matters is it's you know it's purple it's round it's on your neck it looks like a hickey um does the type of fish that you know bit me matter probably not anyway <laughs> the point of all of this is thinking about the details that your audience needs not giving them too much time on detail that doesn't matter or that's you know letting them down a path that's not part of the impression. Um, and I, I think looking out for those bits of humor where they are, because humor um, can be something that helps stick in someone's mind. Now, you also have to be careful with humor. It's very culturally specific. Um, but I think most places would know that if, you know, an instructor shows up to class with a giant bruise on their neck, um, they're probably going to think the same thing. So that's a very long-winded way of saying that thinking about giving lots of specific detail. And again, if you're practicing a story, get super specific, show it to someone else and let them guide which details you keep or which you leave out. It's interesting, you, uh, when you talk about details, you talk about like finding those details that kind of make an emotional impact and kind of find that human connection with the details they want. They're not robots, they're 3.2 centimeters, they're not gonna care. And it's kind of, it's a similar theme we've been talking about where when you're especially verbally giving stories, you're with another human. So mm -hmm. you can be a little bit more human and acknowledge a mistake, acknowledge that you're rambling or mm -hmm. have that kind of human connection. I think that's really interesting when telling a story in a bigger sense. To bring an end to each and every one of our episodes, we have this segment called The Suspenders. Uh, it's basically a segment where we have fun, intriguing, sometimes deep questions. So the question we want to ask, uh, this was randomly chosen. What's an invisible trait about yourself or others that you wish people could see? Why? Snapping the suspenders, aren't you? <laughs> oh my um, god, it's a much better name. <laughs> um, boy, that's tough. I think maybe I'm I'm primarily thinking of the teaching aspect, just because this upcoming tomorrow is like the beginning of classes for me, um, and I want so much for the students to know that I legitimately care about them, like really. Um, I want to help them um, outside of the specific stuff in class and I don't mind when they ask for things. I'm really, really, you know, willing to help them. Um, it's no bother to ask me, you know, about anything. Um, and I think students are so used to hearing that like, oh, there's no, there are no dumb questions, you know, you can ask me anything or whatever. Um, that it's hard to, to be like, no, like, I really mean it. Um, and I think, I guess that's something that's invisible. I mean, I can say it, but, um, I just wish that they all felt it and knew it 
really early on because I feel like um, our relationship could be so much stronger and I have so many resources that could help them uh, but they have to be willing to make some sort of connection with me or they have to I can't help them with problems if I don't know what the problems are and so they have to be able to show them or tell them and they often won't unless they really feel that it's a safe space and that I'm invested in them um, which is a harder thing to do over zoom than it is in person so right now that would be the thing I would say that you know that I, w that I deeply feel that students can't see um, that I wish I could just communicate to them and hopefully mailing them a bunch of boxes with Black Panther comics <laughs> tape all over the outside of them. <laughs> I want one of these boxes. <laughs> They're amazing boxes. I did one with a, a Gene Block's face on it that I'm pretty proud of. Um, <laughs> well, I never had you as professor, but I, I can feel that with you. I think you put in so much work and so much effort to make things exciting and innovative. And I, I feel it every time I talk to you about how passionate you are about education. So. It's something I can feel, if that helps. Oh, thank you, Gora. That, that means a lot to me. Yeah, for our audience members who are currently at UCLA doing your undergrads, if you're looking for writing courses, look up Dr. Tara Prescott-Johnson. Her class will be the best classes you've ever taken at UCLA. <laughs> no pressure or anything on... We talked about storytelling, we talked about academics, we talked about life in general, and it was an amazing episode. What do you think, Kev? Yeah, well, first of all, once again, we have to thank oh our dear friend, Tara. So this part of the uh, pod, we're going to kind of just take a chance to digest, understand what we just heard, and talk about some of the learnings. And we're calling it the top hat. Well, I think my biggest takeaway is that you can build up a, a very interesting story out of the ordinary day-to-day -day details and we have to be able to look into the things that appear ordinary notice the interesting details and add the right details to the story no i think that exactly uh, evoking that human connection so that leads into mine as well i think authenticity and human connection i think that's the most important part of storytelling and taylor hit it head on the nose about how we can bring that in to even the professional settings that was amazing is that a thing hit the head on the nose oh i think or it's is hitting it the hitting the nail on the head we've debated but, this multiple times but i, I, I guess I'm, when you're but I guess when you're punching someone, hitting, hitting the nose would be a pretty nice punch. So, so let's leave that in there. Yeah, so let's leave it on that. Everyone go out, tell your stories, and make sure you hit that head on the nose. This has been Men in Suits and Plastic Tie. I'm Gorb. I'm Kevin. And we'll see you or hear you or you'll hear us next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.